Hello and welcome to True Crime People and Places, the podcast where we explore the world of true crime from an academic and personal perspective. I'm Linda Sage, a criminal psychologist with over four decades of experience working with some of the most dangerous individuals in the world. This is a fairly new podcast and we are developing the systems and growing our audience. So we appreciate your support and feedback. This podcast may contain discussions of violence, murder, sexual assault and other topics related to true crime. Listener discretion is advised. If you are sensitive to these topics, please be aware that this podcast may be triggering you. If at any time you feel overwhelmed or distressed, please take a break and seek support from a mental health professional or support organisation. Good morning and welcome to our regular slots around coercive control, unhealthy behaviours and toxic relationships. Uh, I think we were calling it what is coercive control. The topics have moved on a little bit from there, but um, my name's Elise K. Bell and with me I've got Linda Sage. Linda, do you want to give a little bit of background around yourself? Yeah, hey, Lisa, and uh, good morning, everybody. It's great to be back. New year, new start, and lots of adventures coming up. Uh, I apologise about the voice, but like everybody else, uh, colds are going round, so uh, I I got hit with it as well. My background is criminal psychology, so um, most of the last four decades I've been in and out of prison. Luckily, they always give me the key, so uh, I have been uh, allowed out all the time. But dealing with most of the most heinous criminal minds, and I started long before psychology was the buzzword that it is today, uh, even before DNA and computers. So, uh, you know, people look at me today and say, how did you do any work then? (laughs) Because it was a different world. But yeah, so joining up with Lise, uh, her uh, lived experience and her, her great experience of supporting other people going through and uh, living through this experience, we really sort of two sides of the same coin, which uh, is great to be able to do and uh, uh, work together. Yeah, and I like to draw in on your expert advice and your psychology um, kind of experience and qualifications. And mine is just from observations and actually working alongside people who've been victim to um, some of these quite horrible behaviours and and people. So today's topic is about narcissism, which is actually a hot topic of mine. And like all of the topics that we discuss, it is a very, very complex Uh, subject and it's a huge subject so we'll probably only scratch the surface today um I've got um an example from this morning around uh one of my bugbears that I want to discuss but from Linda's point of view I'm just going to ask you a question Linda from your professional perspective having profiled criminals and and um disordered kind of behavior what is your opinion of what narcissism is? Uh, narcissism is basically a lack of empathy for anybody else. Um, their own needs are always take uh, precedent no, no matter what. They can be very charming. They can be extremely um, entertaining. They could be the world's best uh, dinner guests uh, around. 
but it's about them getting their own way. They can be patient if it's something that they really want to, to work for. Uh, now, narcissistic uh, personality traits, like psychopathic personality traits, doesn't mean to say everybody's an axe murderer. There are, there are loads of people that are living with these traits. You look at the CEOs and even politicians and things like this, that you see a lot of these traits and they are then rewarded for having these traits to be in these certain types of roles. So it isn't to say that everybody is violent with it, but they do have similar traits. But in some respects, they are used to enhance their um professional roles you're not going to find many people with the narcissistic traits that are in the lower end the manual jobs and things like this you tend to see that they are very much social climbers or they want to be in their own mind you know this is a part, part of their uh, requisite as well they like to they they like the grandiose they like to be bigger than life and things like this so there's lots of traits there and i think it's important to realize that a lot of people live with this all their life without being a violent criminal but they will yeah. still have the traits and still be normally within toxic relationships and things like this so i have a viewpoint which is kind of similar to yours but goes off from sort of the day-to-day -day lived experience perspective so i have this view that social media and influencers and everybody around deems people as narcissistic when they're just self-promoting now there's a total difference between being what i would call a narcissist with npd narcissistic personality disorder which is very rarely um actually uh, detected and, and uh, in in medic from a medical professional perspective and i'll talk about that another time but People who are just self-promoting are not necessarily narcissistic. They are just marketing their organisations or who they are. That doesn't make them narcissistic. There might be an element of them liking what they do and being passionate about what they do. It doesn't make them a narcissist. If you live with a narcissist, if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, it is about all that grandiose stuff you've talked about. It is about the self-promotion, but it's at the expense of someone else. So it's always about destroying someone else to get what you want. It's always about making sure that somebody is lower than you and is the underdog, that you're crushing them. Um, so I have a view that we shouldn't normalize narcissism in general social media because actually for victims of narcissistic abuse it really does make them feel like they're not being listened to and one of the reasons my organization is called soundproof box is that at times i didn't feel like anyone was listening to me a narcissist as you've already said is quite clever they will be grandiose they'll paint this picture of being wonderful they can be the social butterfly we'll try being on the receiving end of that behind closed doors and then no one believing you because what they do is believe the hype that's in front of you and then they go oh well, everybody's a narcissist so you're not going through anything bad absolutely um diminishes what a, a victim would go through I'm going to hand over to you in a second. But for me, a narcissist is someone with a fractured ego. So it's someone whose ego it has been destroyed. And it, I feel that it's a nurtured um, behavior. I'm saying I feel I don't know. I've not got any. I haven't got your background and your expertise. 
but it's someone that's either experienced trauma in their childhood or they've been over embellished as a child and they've grown up in the real world and realized then they can't live up to the hype that they were put on this pedestal as a, a child so they now create this environment around themselves that makes them grandiose makes them king of the castle or queen of the castle and that is at the expense of other people because they can't cope with who they actually are is that a in my layman terms is that kind of what we're talking about Linda? I, I think it, it can be um and, and a great point out there as well that you know it's not just male orientated there are lots of females that are uh, have narcissistic traits as well and there is a lot of people that are sort of tarred with the same brush um and yes there, of course there is like the spectrum we talk about the autistic spectrum but the narcissistic and psychopathic personality there's a spectrum on that and this is what i'm saying that a lot of people um part of uh, when i do some of my talks on the uh, psychopathic uh, personality traits we, we do part of a quiz uh and everybody comes up with some you know, and, and we do. That's the whole point is but putting up those pieces of jigsaws together um, and things that happen in life. There's crim criminals go right across the board. You've got criminals that are illiterate and um, really struggled in school, like the uh, Fred and Rose West. And you've got other people that are incredibly intelligent, uh, went to public schools and things like this. So Ian Brady, Dennis Nielsen, those sort of people that are really well read, really well educated. But they still have these personality traits. And for as long as I've been going, and even longer, there's been this nurture, nature uh, type of investigation. And, you know, the ball drops on one side of the net, then it drops on the other side of the net. But from my experience, when you talk to these people, they can always tell you where they made the choice that they made you know and normally it's for their own it's their needs their gratification it you know other people's um needs and empathies and that don't come into it because they actually don't think a, a, along the same lines just talking about this because peter tolbin was an incredibly um narcissistic and a lot of these men again this is going to sound like i'm i'm doing with a, a tar brush but a lot of these criminals are males that are quite small or uh, quite, you know, not not well built. But not all of them, obviously. But very often, uh, this tends to add to their role of feeling insignificant, of uh, that they've been put down by other people and perhaps bullied and things like this uh, previously. But it's not an excuse for the for the way that they be uh, behave. Um, and my lived experience actually counteracts that because the person that I've got in my mind is incredibly tall, attractive, being grown up in an environment where they were told that absolutely they are the most beautiful being going and grew up to believe that when faced with the real world can't necessarily keep up to the hype that actually they're just a normal everyday person. So the persona has to continue and has to start L very intelligent, very very carefully um well put together uh, and I see this as well quite a lot and I a lot of the support that I started doing with um victims slash survivors of uh, coercive control slash narcissistic abuse um was where they were with people who were high in high powered positions yeah. so um you know people who were lawyers who are police 
who are uh, running their own businesses, both male and female. You know, I've had male and female people that I have been supporting over the years that I've been victim to these. And, you know, they will do anything to get ahead. Really silly things. I mean, that there are... It's a really serious topic and I don't want to undermine it, but there are little quirks that you get with narcissists in that their ability to constantly need attention and want to crave that attention. Now, not everyone is a is a narcissist, an attention seeking narcissist. You can have the covert ones um, that, that may even go down the religious leader route or go down a route that's more pious. But let's talk about the ones that are a bit grandiose and a bit over the top. You know, going to a fancy dress party, but making sure that your costume's the most elaborate one. Or going to a party in fancy dress when no one else is. These are really little quirks that someone might do just to stand out. And actually, a few episodes ago, we talked about Jimmy Savile, and he absolutely did that. He would dress outlandish and crazy and, and over the top because he had this narcissistic thing about him i'm not using terminology very well today i think i'm tripping over my words but yeah what, what's your kind of take on that linda I, th- I think it's very true i mean these people are very adaptable and quite honestly just very recently uh i've i've been in the the company of a very incredibly clever narcissistic and it's a female um but she had playing the victim yeah, so turning the same. And so she played the victim so that she manipulated anybody and everybody to do exactly what she wanted in the end. But, but you know, if you, you challenge that, you know, there, there was quite a big uh, defence there. But then she'd always go back to playing the victim uh, to get this because she... But then her stories of um, things she'd done and places she'd been and things like this, and you're thinking, how can this person go there when they're, you know, frightened of their own shadow or they're saying they're frightened of their own shadow? But you can tell with things that they were doing and, you know, the way that they were manipulating information, one person against another person. So, you know, these people don't have to be, you know, the, the full attention, but they are getting their attention their way that they've got used to uh, having you know, and getting their own way. They've got a grand... Uh, I think Cary Grant was a, a, a good one because when you listen, uh, hear his story, he developed, you know, Cary Grant. It wasn't a person. It was a persona that they that he did to get where he wanted to. Not saying that he was narcissistic in that respect, but this is a similar case, that they will build the personality of who they want to be to get the results that they want to get. And that's what I was going to point out, that they're master strategists. It is very well thought out. Someone with NPD is not doing it blindly. They know exactly what they're doing, and that's what makes it more kind of destructive. Personally, that's that's my view on it. So that there is a, always a strategy, and the strategy is always about serving their own purpose. So if they want to play the shy, retiring, covert person, they can play it. And I always find them, when you've been in a relationship with someone who's incredibly narcissistic, you lose your sense of identity because they almost strip it from you down to your language patterns, down to everything that you do that they mirror and they make it their own so that you kind of lose that sense of self. I call them narcbots because I believe that there's absolute, there's a shallow, hollow person underneath it. And all they do is they grab the best bits of other people's personalities 
other people's hobbies and interests, other people's ways of doing it and put it, it mould it to suit whatever situation they want to, because there's nothing in there of their own identity. And it's going back to what he said about this fractured ego. Um, we've all got egos. We need it to survive, because if you didn't have an ego, you wouldn't be able to live on this earth and navigate around social experiences. But it's when that ego is damaged to a degree that actually it becomes... What you see on the outside with a narcissist is not what's going on inside, I think, personally. Uh, again, I'm going to ask your expert opinion on this. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, thought patterns and and the, are all, when you think a baby is born um, and it's like a blank computer, so things are learnt and they can be unlearned and relearned. But yes, yeah, with genetics and that we know now about the warrior genes and the, and the different things. So we've come a long way in that respect. But yeah, there is no logical reason why one person will react one way to something and one person will uh, come to to me it still always comes back to uh, that choice that, that the personal choice that we have in situations and you know again coming back you've mentioned it a couple of times about social media you know so so many people are posting out there and they're all happy and you know their lives are wonderful and somebody else looking at them thinking oh my life's not like this so now but this is a lot of pretense you know people are putting a lot of fake news out there people are putting a lot of information that is not completely uh true or you know, they're bending it to their uh, way of thinking and it does an awful lot of damage because nobody has got a completely perfect happy life you know everybody it goes through ups and downs and it is about how you deal with that rather than you know, be proactive rather than reactive and you find a lot of the people with the personality traits um, um, are strategists but they're also reactive because they're very good at manipulating situations uh, um, and making other people think that they're at fault you know we, we have talked about gaslighting and, reflection and the blame shifting we talked about that in the gaslighting one last session but um yeah absolutely I, you know they've learned strategies throughout their childhood and they're able to manipulate that situation they've learned what gives them power Again, all these topics we're talking about are about having power over somebody else. And narcissists are incredibly power-seeking individuals. And again, I guess one of the reasons I have an issue with this general term around narcissism and narcissists is, one, because it's very rarely detected and clinically um found out because a, a, a tr someone who really has MPD would not think about going to the doctors because it just it's not in there there's no empathy there yeah. two because it minimizes what kind of real victims of these people go through and three because I've been called one as well <laughs> so I do a lot of self-promotion a lot of marketing but it's enabled me to move my organization forward I do have empathy. I don't seek to destruct someone else. And actually, I'm quite inclusive when somebody wants to be part of our organisation. Like, yeah, come on board. And you know this because we work together loads. Um, so I don't see those as narcissistic traits because if I was a narcissist, I'd be jealous about your um, involvement because you're more qualified than me. You've got more going but I see it as a compliment and I actually like to work alongside you because I think we work well together. Um, so I don't like this term narcissist because I've been called one quite recently. 
I, I think you know again we uh, people like to use these terms that don't even really know what the terms mean you know it, it, it gives them a box it's like you know we went through all the things about autism and things like this if people can be put into labels it sort of makes other people feel think but it's like a, a, a criminally insane there's very very few people prisoners that have, have been marked as criminally insane yet you know they they use the term across the board and it's not so i think it's really important like you say that you know don't diminish the term because the effect it has is incredibly um telling on people and from the very beginning of a relationship and I think this is one of the great things uh, with the work you're doing that opening up and because before you are hooked with these people then it if you've got your sights open you can actually see the, the these red flags but once you are emotionally involved it's so easy to make excuses for them and then by that time, it just deteriorates and gets worse and worse until they actually achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah, yeah ruin you, uh, break you. And it takes a long time, particularly the people that I support. It takes them years to recover from having lived, lived or been with an extreme malignant narcissist. And I'm going to use the word malignant because this is the destructive yeah. side of the personality. I'm not talking about someone who's just going, oh, you can't wear that top today. I'm talking about catalogue of self-serving behaviours and destructive and vindictive actions that would cause another person to kind of lose their sense of self. God, that was a long statement, wasn't it? But also, I think there's a good point there that a lot of this is emotional and psychological. We're not we're not talking all about physical because a lot of them uh, aren't uh, physical. They're not physically violent, but the damage that they do to the other person, they actually diminish the other person to uh, a non-entity, questioning everything about themselves because you know, their their belief they 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 get them isolated. They um they they use their own um, fears they will get to know that person so well and they will then turn the tables on them and say this is because you know you're like this or this is you know because that happened you you know you react like this and the blame play is always uh there as well it's almost like they blow your personality up and then there's fragments of it all over the place that you have to then pick up and re gain your identity and I spend loads and loads of time with people helping them reclaim their identity um because they've they've lost it to uh, someone who has controlled them psychologically um are they on the sociopathic scale is that I I don't know um the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath so I'm, I'm asking you on this one. <laughs> I mean, they, they could, I mean, they, again, we, yeah, we could put broad strokes uh, across right across things, but I think we have to take each per, each person as different. There are um, like outline traits for for all of them, but you know, it's not like you have a broken arm and that's the one thing you've got—a broken arm. If you've got personality traits within these. And the same on the autistic spectrum. You know, you don't just uh, look at the autistic spectrum and say, "Oh, you've got you're dyslexic," because normally there's other things. There's the dyspraxia. Uh, there's uh, ADHD. You know, all, all sorts of things that work into them. And at the other side of the scale, with the personality disorders, exactly the same. You know, there's so many overlapping that to draw a line down and say, "Oh, this person's just this 
it doesn't work like that, you know. And this is where I'm saying that, like you said, you know, by tarring people with the same brush, okay, perhaps it's it's easy to then say, oh, this person goes into this category, but there might be an awful lot of other things that work with it. You know, it's like there's a an awful lot of people that are abused, whether in a narcissistic or you know coercive relationship or sexually or emotionally, but they don't go on to then do uh, do the same but very often they will treat themselves badly so they they are then you know basically sort of fending against themselves because they don't treat themselves as well as they would treat somebody else so i think that's an awful lot of work that you know especially for young people you know bringing that up before they start getting fragmented one of the things that, again, from kind of personal experience working with the, with victims is narcissistic rage. So when a narcissist is found out for their lies and who they are and who they they have a tendency to go into some sort of rage. And that can be violent yeah. because what you're doing is attacking their ego, their personality, the one thing that they are absolutely protecting. And it could be violent. It could be throwing things. It could be a series of actions that will enable somebody to lose their job or lose their business or do something. But narcissistic rage is a thing. If a narcissist feel it's almost like cornering a wolf, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna lash out at some point. If you corner a wolf and they feel under threat, that's what happens with a narcissist. If you find out their lies and you challenge them on those lies or you out them on those, they will go into a rage. And that rage can be violent, but it can also be vindictive. Uh, vindictive is uh, really key and especially and I, I talk about this a lot in the workplace because um, so if you're a manager and you've got a narcissistic personality or a psychopathic personality you know getting the information getting the details getting the evidence getting it logged uh, is so so important because you know they they are so manipulative and they are likely to then go uh, behind and complain about you they're likely to you know whether it's legally or uh, socially or things like this you know if they can badmouth you but they will also then use geography because a lot of them will find that they've moved about and they've got different uh, locations that they then go to because then they feel they've got a, another safe area to go to but the vindictiveness you know can be really bitter and for a very long time yeah yeah it's um yeah they they hold grudges for for quite a long time um there's something else i wanted to mention and i forgot what i was gonna say now about uh, the getting vindictive and and uh not moving on i don't know i've forgotten now it's not often i oh the strategies so you know they as we're going back to kind of the strategies and we talked about rage rage is when they do lose control and they do um but the other thing that they're they're good at only I'm going from personal experience working with these, working with victims of these people, is they gather their own evidence in order to protect their ego. So if they think at some point you're going to challenge them on their lies or their behaviour, they will always have some information on you to counteract that. And that will be a deflection tactic. So it will be, you said this about me, but I've gathered all this evidence about you. And they're almost like on a massive reconnaissance mission to find out everything they can about you as an individual, just in case you out them for who they are. They've got 
ammunition to go back with. That's part of the strategizing as well, is that particularly in the workplace, um, this happens loads. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and especially, you know, this is like you say, it's it's one of the things that uh, probably endears them to people at the beginning because they seem so interested and they want to know about you. But there's a method behind their interest. They're gathering that information and they will keep information and they will store it because they yes. are really good at bringing it out and, you know, like playing cards, playing Trump. So I'm going to trump, you know, this and uh, knock you for six. So if you've got somebody that starts off really charming and, you know, they want to know all about you and, you know, they're pushing the barriers to know more and more, you know, there's probably a reason behind it. Yeah, they're gathering information that they can use at a later date. And they don't just do that in um, workplaces. They don't just do it in relationships, but they do it in friendships as well. Yeah. yeah. They'll do it in friendships. Do you remember that time you told me X, Y, and Z? No, I actually have got a text message that backs that up. And you'll be looking at it. It'd be like from seven years ago. And you're thinking, how have you kept a text message that long? And how have you remembered it? It's almost like they've got a filing cabinet of memories that they can pick out at any one time if um, they want to attack you. And that's where the vindictiveness shows as well. Because it will it will really you know, go home that, oh, this person does keep information and does does use it and they will use it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're nearly at the end of today's session and we could go on forever talking about this topic. Uh, and if you do want us to talk about it in the future, um, you know, drop us an email. I'm info at soundproofbox.org. Yeah, you can get me. I'm very easy. Everything's under my name. So Linda Sage. So just uh, uh, websites there, emails, exactly the same and LinkedIn as well. So uh, get in touch and ask questions. We love questions. Ask- ask questions and suggest topics that you might want as the pair of us to talk about um, from our own kind of experiences. Thank you. And we will see you in two weeks time. Yeah. We'll be back again then. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to true crime people and places. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you have any suggestions for future topics, please let us know. See you next time.